to welcome all of you today uh, to a brand new series that we're kicking off called You Asked For It. And the way this series works is last week at Easter, we took that opportunity to ask you a question, a couple of questions. But one of them was, if you could hear a message on anything, whatever's impacting your life the most, whatever thing you may be walking through or have questions about, what would that message be about? And so I want to thank all of you that took part in that, got a lot of answers last week. And so I usually spend my Sunday and Monday after Easter combing through those and figuring out, putting them in stacks and trying to see which ones are the most asked question uh, and then bringing those into a series that we call You Asked For It. And so I want to remind you again, this is not my opinion. This is not four weeks of self-help. This is not just what do I think about it, but really what does God's word have to say about the topics that you guys asked for? And so I want to just announce today too that the number one topic, by the way, for the first time ever, is in the number one slot. Now, this has been asked a couple of times uh, in the, the years that we've done this. And so it's probably, probably made, I think, two out of the four years that we've done this in the past. But for the first time, it was always in the third slot or the fifth slot. But I was counting out on Sunday. Actually, it was on Monday afternoon. I'm counting out those different answers. And this one, far and away, probably four times as much as the next one, was in slot number one, everybody. Are you ready for it? All right, so here is the question. And I understand with all the things happening around, here is the question. Is this the end? Is this the end? Is this really, are we living in the end times? Is this really when Jesus is going to come back? What does it look like to live in end times? What does the Bible have to say about end times? And certainly I think this is something that's heavy on a lot of our hearts. And I noticed it just off the bat. Like I said, probably four to one, it outnumbered the next place in the questions that you asked for. Because as we look at the moral decline in our country, we look at wars around the world, we look at difficulties and news that comes in from all around, especially we look back at the last year during the pandemic, we begin to look at these events and probably now more than ever, our hearts are torn toward this idea, this idea that these signs indicate that we're near the end, that this might be the end of all, that it's all kind of wrapping up. The Bible has actually a lot to say about end times, everybody. You might not realize that, but it is not silent about what the end will be like. It's not silent about prophecy about the end times. A couple of statistics for you before we take some notes today. Here's the first one, that one in 30 verses in the New Testament are about the end times. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament. Here's the next one, that the Bible, 216 chapters of your New Testament, in some way deal with the end time prophecy with Jesus's return. And so almost 80% of the chapters in the New Testament in some way deal with the end times, with the return of Christ. Of 27 books of the New Testament, 300 references. And of the 27, 23 of the books deal with end time prophecy. 23 of the books deal with the return of Jesus. So the Bible really has a lot to say about it. And so this morning, I understand we cannot go through all 23 books, all right, which all of you are sighing with relief. I can understand that as well. But it's important we understand what the Bible says about it. And even more important, we understand what we are to do about it. How we are to respond to what the Bible says. But I know what you're thinking right now. Really, really, it took me six months to get my friend to attend church with me. And it's prophecy, hellfire, and judgment weekend. Really, is that what you're... And it's what you asked for, everybody. All right, that's just what I, what I say. But I get it. It's not a topic most people like to talk about end of the world. It's not really a thing that kind of makes good conversation at dinner, everybody, or at Thanksgiving, or whatever it is that you want to bring this up. A lot of times on Sunday, and I've told you this before, as a speaker, you look out and you kind of read faces when you do things. And so most Sundays, it's like, let me get my coffee and let me take some notes. It's going to be really great. But on Hellfire and Judgment Day, everybody's like, dear Lord, Jesus in heaven, save me. Like your eyes get really big and wide. And I understand that because it's just not 
Uh, it's a serious topic, everybody, so we're not going to laugh a whole lot today, all right? So let's just get it all out here at the beginning. Reverend Boudreaux and Reverend Thibodeau, come on, it's good already, everybody, had churches across the street from one another. And so one Sunday afternoon, Reverend Boudreaux is out in his church lawn, and he's tacking in a sign near the road, and it says, you better turn yourself around before the end. And on the other side, not to be outdone, Pastor Thibodeau is just hammering in his sign, and it says, the end is near. And about that time, a car comes screaming through the town between the two churches, and the people roll down their windows as they come by, and they start screaming, you fanatics, you lunatics, you bunch of loonies, and then they peel away go around the corner and about that time they hear the tires squeal and a big splash and Boudreaux looks at his sign and he says hey Thibodeau you think maybe we ought to write caution the bridge is out you think maybe we ought to <laughs> that's funny I don't care what you say all right everybody that's, just... <laughs> that's the only laughter you get for the rest of the message but I get it it's not a topic most people like to talk about in fact in the church you really are either all consumed with it, with end times and prophecy, you're either all consumed or you don't like to really think about it at all. There's a couple of different, different approaches that you'll find in the church. Usually it's one of those two. Now, when I was eight or nine years old, the American church went through a phase where this was all they would talk about. Y'all, many of you remember that time? It was about 10 years long. This was like the only thing that was really on the minds of the church in America at the time. And so at the time, all of the publishers and curriculum makers... Uh, in the states began to pump out everything they could sell about the end times. Anything they could, they could publish, anything they could produce, anything they could film, anything they could do, they would pump it out because it would sell really well. And they did that for both adults and children, everybody, and children. That'll be relevant in just a moment. And I think their hearts were pure as gold, but really I think their approach was to try to scare all of the hell out of us. All right, everybody? I think that's what they were trying to accomplish. That's just really how I felt. Because they would play those movies, the Left Behind movies. Anybody remember those? Anybody seen those at all, those Left Behind movies? They play them for children, everybody. For children. If you have not seen them, you do not need to watch them, all right, everybody? Because they are the most horribly produced and filmed movies on the planet. You think like the worst Christian movie you've ever seen and take it down a couple of notches, all right? That is the Left Behind on film. The books are all right, everybody, but the film were just horrible. But they would have these scenes of people who would be like families together and people would like disappear or people and the people would be like, oh my goodness, the rapture has come and they'd be screaming and running around and they'd be like, I've been left and it's over. And my little seven, eight year old mind would watch these things. And I was a child, everybody, a child. And I'd get home from children's church or get home, you know, from school and I'd go into the kitchen and be like, mom, there wouldn't be an answer. And like open the hallway like, mom, and nothing. And you're like running in the back room, mom. And like, no answer. You run in the backyard, Mom! And like, nowhere. And you're like, no, God, I've been left. <laughs> I was scarred, everybody. I've been, I just, just want to put that out there. For weeks after watching those things, just scarred. Now, some of you have noticed that my mother is not here today. She's not. <laughs> so I see you guys looking over here to where she normally sits. Now, you've not been left. She's visiting family in California, all right, everybody? You're good for at least one more Sunday, everybody. Come on, those of you who know my mother, she is the bellwether for whether or not you've been left, all right, everybody? She is, 
But I was scarred for like weeks. I don't know if any of you went through that as a child, but like I'd be thinking like I've been left. Now, my goal today is not to scar you in such a way that you would be thinking on edge all the rest of the time, like looking around, like what's about to happen? Like thinking I'm going to call that really good looking person that I know and I'm going to see, you know, they really act really well and they they really have the shiny shoes. And so I'm going to call and see if they're still. That's not what I want to do today, everybody. But I think it is important to understand what the Bible has to say about end times. And what our response should be. Truth is, we have to know that, understanding kind of what would happen in culture, what it would look like so that we're prepared for it. Because I get a lot of times, I get people who come and ask me questions about things that may be happening around the world or things that might be occurring even in our own country. And a lot of times, if you're not prepared, if you haven't looked into what the Bible says is going to happen, they'll catch you off guard. It'll make you kind of freak out when you see those things happening that the Bible already said would happen, everybody. The Bible already prophesied would happen. So I want you to be prepared. And not only that, we're going to talk about what we should then do. How should we live? And so we're actually going to be in a passage in 2 Peter chapter 3. A lot of different places the Bible talks about end time prophecy. But we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to kind of walk through this passage because I believe it goes hand in hand. It shows you what will happen and then what we should be doing, how we should respond. So we'll pick it up, work through the verse for just a moment. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. And he says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come. Scoffing, because that's what scoffers do, right, everybody? They scoff and following their own evil desires. And so we kind of see that in the world today. We see that in our culture, people who are kind of coming along and going their own way. And so they'll say, where is this coming that he promised? That's talking about Jesus. Where is this, this coming back that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes as it has since the beginning of creation. That's one of the world's arguments, everybody. Like, hey, church, you've been crying wolf for 2,000 years now. Where is this, this Jesus that you said is going to come back? Because ever since our ancestors came and went, and ever since we've been here, we haven't seen nothing. And so we just, we just don't think. And honestly, ever since Jesus went back into heaven and coming to return, ever since he made that promise, every generation has believed that they were the final generation. Every generation has preached with conviction that they were it. This is the end. This is the, the time. Every generation since Jesus has believed that. And a lot of them have made very passionate, true-hearted claims about why they believe that. But honestly, there have been a couple of signs that could not be fulfilled until this generation. And so I'm not saying this is the last generation. I'm saying that there are signs that this is kind of a watershed moment in the last 20 or 30 years. That this is when it, some of these signs could actually be fulfilled. And we're not going to go through all of them, but just a couple for you. Like Jesus spoke and said that the gospel would be preached to all nations and then the end would come. That word nations in the Greek means ethnos, means people groups. And there are thousands and thousands of people. There's thousands in China alone of people groups around the world. And so up until just a few years ago, it was very difficult to reach those different ethnos. So you would have people that had to go in, smuggle in curriculum or Bibles or whatever it was, build a, ch a church or a school to begin to train missionaries, to begin to send them out to each different. It was very expensive and difficult to do. Now an entire Bible school fits on a flash drive, everybody. And they're training missionaries and pastors around the world through Skype and online communication. Whether you hate it or love it, technology has changed the game in terms of spreading the gospel. In fact, yesterday I got connected, yesterday morning, with a pastor in Trinidad that wants us to, tr to Skype with them and to train some leaders and do things in the work that's being done. The gospel's being preached around the world. 
And so it's one of the things that's completely transformed in the last 20 or 30 years. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But all different signs in the Bible that could not have happened. Another one that says, and if you read in Revelation, it talks about in the midst of the tribulation that there would be two prophets that arise. And a lot of people argue and have long discussions about who those two prophets are, resurrected, who they might be. But the Bible talks about how then the Antichrist would kill them in the streets and the entire world would witness that event happen. And you look back at sermons and things from the 1500s and even further back, and you look at how they tried to explain those verses, how the, the whole world could possibly watch an event. And maybe it'd be an image in the sky or maybe it'd be whatever. Well, we know now living in these days, come on, everybody, I'm like the last generation that wasn't born with a cell phone, like, sutured to my hand when I was born, all right, surgically attached. Like, that was my generation. I'm not that old, but I remember you didn't have one, right, everybody, when you were four years old. You didn't have a cell phone. I don't know what's... But I am raising a generation, right, that is bathed in technology. They understand it before I do. They can understand. And so, like, they just, they just instantly understand where technology has gone and where it's going. And so we'll be having, like, like family movie night. And so trial and tribulation to them is like 4G versus LTE. You understand what I'm saying? Like, low internet bandwidth is like the end of the world. And so we're having like movie night and Nemo is swimming across the screen and he freezes. And my kids are like, no, like the world is over. Like it's buffering. And I'm like, how do you know the word buffering? Like, where do you, where do you, and they're like, this is garbage, man. Like it's not even, I just don't, I just, I, my, my life is over. And I begin to think like, you understand what is happening? Like, this is ridiculous. You are streaming 4K to a set-top device to your 4K television in the middle. Anything you want to watch is stream. I didn't have anything like that when I was, you are blessed beyond, it's ridiculous. But honestly, if you look at technology, it makes sense now that the entire world could pull out their cell phone and watch an event from anywhere around the world. There's different prophecies that made no sense until our generation. And so you begin to look at those that not saying it's the last one, but saying that there are prophecies now that can be fulfilled that we're not able to. But the world continues to say, hey, church, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not happening. They keep saying, y'all say it's happening, but it's not happening. Watch this in verse five. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So this is the creation event that he's referencing here. And then watch this. And he says, by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So now he's talking about Noah and the flood. God said, I'm going to preserve humanity through Noah and his family. We're going to kind of reset this thing. We're going to, we're going to wipe everything out, kind of start all over. And then prophetically speaking, something that has not happened yet, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So God says, never again with water will I destroy the earth. But now this earth and this heaven are reserved for fire. That he said, we're going to reset and we're going to start everything brand new. And so prophetically speaking, so what do we do in response to this? How do we respond to this? But he says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. So he's talking, he's responding. Some of you know these verses kind of out of context. But he's responding to this claim by the world that, hey, y'all say he's coming, but we haven't seen nothing. And y'all say it's about to happen, but it hasn't happened. And so we just go along with kind of how we've been living all this time. But he says, do not forget. Remember this thing with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So he's kind of saying, hey, listen, church, I know it might be a thousand years. He's speaking prophetically. I know it might be two thousand. I don't know how long it will be, but understand that it's not that big of a deal. 
He's saying to us, it feels like a big deal, like it's been a thousand years, it's been two thousand. He said, but to God, it's like a day, because God does not operate in our timetable. God doesn't operate the way that we view the time. And so we get all all worked up about years and time and, and things like that. And God says, I exist in eternity, and it's not that big of a deal. So a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. God is basically telling us, not, don't get worked up like the world does. You say it's happening, but it's not. He says it's not that big of a deal. Like this guy I heard about that was praying and asking God questions, and he said, Lord, is it true that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to you? And God said, yes, my son, that is true. And so the guy said, well, then, Lord, I guess a dollar is like a million dollars and a million dollars is just like a dollar to you, right? And God said, yeah, that's true, my son. And so he thought for a moment that he said, well, Lord, can I have like a dollar? And God said, sure, just give me a couple of minutes. Come on. (laughs) I know it's bad, but hey, it's prophecy weekend. That's the best I got, everybody. So verse nine. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. So he's talked about the day like a thousand years, thousand years like a day. He's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness and said, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I believe that's one of the best evidences we have that it's God's plan to save all of humanity. That God wants everyone to be saved. There aren't a pre-select few. God desires that everyone would be saved. He's drawing everyone. In fact, it's the patience of God that draws them to repentance. He wishes all to come to repentance. I can just imagine the Father's heart. Because it says that the, the Father is sitting on the throne, Christ at his right hand, ready to come back. As soon as the Father gives the word, he's ready to come back. And I imagine he's waiting for his bride. He's ready to come and claim the church. He wants it to happen, but you can imagine the Father's heart that he's watching and saying, No, no, not yet. Not yet. I think we can get a few more. I think we can, we can get a few more. We can save because his heart is that all would be saved, that all would come to repentance. You read, you can study in Revelation, you can read in the end times. God is not excited about judgment, everybody. He wants you to be saved. He wants us to be saved. But you say, well, you're not answering my question. I want to know when. Some of you that wrote the question, I want to know when it's going to happen. I want to know how it's going to happen. I want to know all the details. Well, it goes on to say about when, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. It's going to be hard to be ready for us to be prepared. The heavens will be disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So we have this passage of Scripture talking about what's happening in the world around us and how we need to be prepared. I love Second Peter because of this, that it talks about what will happen. It describes the events at the end, but then it also talks about how we can be prepared in the time that we live. Let me give you three things we can look for in end time culture. Three things that Second Peter kind of lays out for us that we can start to recognize signs of the time. We can begin to recognize the end time culture and what that will look like. So we're not surprised when it shows up in our newsfeed. We're not surprised when it scrolls across our television. It doesn't catch us unaware because the Bible already prophesied that it would happen. First thing the passage tells us is people will follow their own desire rather than God's direction. They're going to go after their own desires more than ever before rather than God's direction. They're going to start doing what they want. In fact, he said they'll follow their own evil desires. Get to the place of just like, you know what, I, I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way. And now this is one of those that has seen every generation that people have preached, that people have noticed, that people try to follow their own philosophy and their own theology. How many have noticed when God doesn't work the way we want him to, a lot of people will come up with their own theology. 
Like I heard about a boy that prayed for a bicycle every day of the year. And he prayed, God, give me a bicycle. God, give me a bicycle. And he said, after a year of no bicycle, I decided to steal one and pray for forgiveness. Come on, somebody. How many know when God doesn't do what we want him to do, oftentimes people will come up with their own theology all on their own. People will come up with their own idea of who God must be because that's who I want him to be. And you see this even in the church. In fact, the Bible said that even at end times, there'll be teachers and preachers and people popping up claiming to be the Christ. In fact, claiming to be the anointed one or to have the presence of God. And they'll lead thousands astray because they're preaching what they want to hear. It says they'll tickle their ears with the words they want to hear. And so they begin to have these theologies, do what you want to, live the way you want to, interpret the Bible how you want to. And God will just be okay with that. The Bible says in that text that they'll deliberately forget what God has done. That they'll see what God, but they'll deliberately forget it. And with the rise of population in our country and in our world, we've seen a polarization of spirituality. We've seen this it just in the last few years. We've seen this polarization. Not, not too long ago, a person who was a good moral person who did not believe in God, their lifestyle would not look all that different from someone who did believe and lived in the church. Well, that's not so anymore. Darkness is actually growing darker, everybody. It's actually getting worse in terms of that. And I'm not discouraged by that. I'm actually encouraged because light can shine all the brighter. I'm actually encouraged by that, that we have a clear delineation. There is a separation between them now. That there is a chance because the gospel can be preached so much clearer when you see the differentiation between dark and light. When those things begin to get mixed is when things get muddled and when people start to believe, well, I may be good enough or I may be strong. It's, it's where works theology is at its strongest. But when darkness is at its strongest, the light can shine ever brighter, everybody. I'm encouraged by that, that we can actually see the separation now. So there is a clear line in the sand and that helps propel the gospel more than ever before. That you see in times, even in, in authoritarian cultures or in authoritarian nations, where there is a clear line, the gospel begins to explode because you begin to see what God is actually doing. And there's a clear separation. I'm encouraged, everybody, that we have this chance. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But I'm encouraged we have this opportunity. We have this chance to preach the gospel to a world that is increasingly dark, but that we have the only light, the only truth, the only gospel that can save them. It's a chance for the church to rise up. But the Bible says people are going to start doing their own thing, their own evil desires. And because of that, it will lead them to mistake God's patience for his permission. And you see this all the time, even within the church. I'm preaching to both sides here. They'll begin to mistake God's patience for his permission. People start to go their own way and they start saying things like, well, I know the Bible couldn't say that. And I know the Bible does say that, but I don't really care what the Bible says. God is okay with me just being true to myself. God is okay with me just being true to the things that I want and my desires. And look, fire hasn't come out from heaven yet and destroyed me, so God must be okay with it. God must be giving his permission to the way that I'm living. You see, I haven't been destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. I haven't been destroyed like all those people. It hasn't happened to me. God hasn't squashed me flat, and so he must be giving his permission, and nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible says God's patience is supposed to draw people to salvation. His patience is supposed to be that we would repent. God gives his patience that no one would be lost. He wants everyone to come to salvation, to repentance. But too oftentimes people mistake his patience, his grace that's intervening in our lives. They mistake it for permission. They mistake it for a blessing on the things that they're doing. And nothing could be further from the truth. We see it play out in the garden, to be honest with you. I really believe Eve ate the fruit in the garden and Adam 
probably like expected her to die. Because that's what they tell the serpent. Remember, they tell him, God said, if you eat of the fruit, you'll die. And so Eve eats the fruit. And I imagine Adam's like looking at the corner of his eye, like, like just waiting for it. And then after a couple of moments, like, well, you look okay, girl. Like, it, it, I think it's all right. Like, let's eat some fruit. Like, you don't seem like you're dying. Maybe God lied. Like, maybe that's not, they know the death that they were experiencing it in the garden. And this happens all the time, by the way, to Christian young people, especially when we don't teach them about consequences of sin in this world. All we do is draw a line. And so oftentimes, the only thing we'll do to teach sin is to draw a hard line and say, if you cross this line, your life is over. All right, everybody? Let me know what I'm talking about. Anybody? But we won't explain to them the consequences of the sin that maybe exists in the world. And so they'll get out there and they'll see their friends living, living the life. And they'll see and they'll be looking at them like, you just bought drugs. Like, why are you not immediately in jail? Like, I don't understand why you didn't immediately die. I don't understand. Like, you slept around. Why do you not immediately have AIDS and have seven kids? And I don't understand. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, they're looking like, maybe it's not so bad. Like, maybe that's not so bad over there. Little do they know the consequences for that. That there's death in their relationships, death in their relationship with God, death in their emotions. Death in the circumstances, death in their life that's being produced by that sin. And anybody who's been through it, there is forgiveness, everybody, but there are also consequences. And anybody who's walked through it will tell you the exact same thing. That there were consequences for the action, but too often we don't see those. We just see God's patience as being permission and nothing could be further from the truth. His grace in their lives, his grace in our lives, lest we get too high and mighty on our horse, is to lead us to repentance. God's patience is supposed to lead us to repentance. But then 2 Peter talks about there is an end. There is an end that's coming that this earth and this world, these heavens will be destroyed by fire one day. And it talks about that. It says, and then all the works of the earth will be laid bare. There is consequence. There are things that are consequences. There is death that sin brings. We can't ever mistake his, we can't ever mistake his patience for his permission. It's not permission for the sin that we get entangled in. But then what happens is we mistake it for permission, and so we get consumed by it. We begin to say, well, it must be okay, and so if God's grace is there, then it must be okay for me to do And we become consumed by the things of this world. We get preoccupied with it, and we're no longer prepared. Third thing, jot it down if you're taking notes. We get preoccupied with the things of this earth, and we're not prepared for the coming. We forget about the fact that God is coming back at all, that Jesus is returning. We just kind of push it out to our sides of our minds so often that we just forget that it's even there. Matthew chapter 24, it says, as was in the days, it's talking again about end times. Jesus is talking. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So when Jesus comes back, it's going to look like the days of Noah. What did that look like? Well, in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. So they were just living their lives oblivious to the thing that was coming. Noah's trying to preach to that generation. And he's saying, guys, we have to get ready. Like, get ready. The end of the world is here. Like, it's about to happen. And people are like, boat. You're talking about boat. I don't know about boat. I had never seen rain. Just, I had never seen that. I'm not getting on any boat. You know, maybe sit on there for a couple of days and feel foolish. We're not happening. So it says they were just living their lives, just going about like normal until the flood came and took them all away. Knew nothing about what would happen. That's how it will be at the coming of the sun of man. Same thing will happen in our culture, everybody. People will not be ready. We will become so consumed with life, consumed with temporary things, so focused only on that, and all of a sudden, like a thief, God's return will come. We're not prepared. 
Because we've got scopes and consumed with the life around us. We're saying, well, we're, are we living in the last days? And you begin to look at these scriptures. You say, well, I've looked at those three things. Are we living in the last days? Well, honest answer, everybody. We're just going to go ahead in the middle of the sermon today and answer that is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we're living in the last days or not. I can lay out the prophecies. I can show you how the culture is what the Bible prophesied that it would be. I don't know. Here's what I do know. We may be living in the last days, but you are definitely living in your last days. We may be living in the last days, but I guarantee that you are living in your last days. Welcome to Victory, where we make you feel really good about yourself. You are definitely living. Reality is James chapter 4 tells us. Watch this in verse 14. Why you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You fill out all these charts, you do all these calculations, you do all this stuff, you do it, but you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So even if you get to ride this thing out to the end, even if you're here for all of it and you get to ride every last bit of it, your life is ending soon, everybody. This is just a mist. It says it's just a vapor. We're here for a moment and then we vanish. That's what the Bible talks about. Like we're here on this earth for just a moment and then eternity. Your life is just a mist. And so if we get our whole lives, we should still live in a way, as such a way that we would say that the end is coming. We live in such a way that at any moment it could happen. And so you say, well, how do we respond to all of that? What should our response be? If it's not the end of all things, but I know my end is coming. If, it's, if it is the end of all things, how should we respond? How should we then live? Well, you can get the book of Revelation out and you can study and you can make charts and you can chart the blood moons and you can look at those, subscribe to the Prophecy Channel. You can do all that stuff, everybody. You get all freaked out. If you do, I think it's good to study. If you do, do it in pencil, all right, everybody? Go ahead and write that thing. Just go it in pencil. Because the Bible says, Matthew 24, Jesus said, about that day... Or our, watch this, no one knows. No one. You guys catch that, right, everybody? About that day or that hour, about when Jesus is returning, no one knows. Not you, not me, nobody. All right, everybody? You understand that, all right? Not even, watch this, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Come on, somebody. Now, if Jesus don't know, then I know that you don't know. All right, everybody? If the father hasn't told the son, then I guarantee he has not told you. Some of you got the antennas sticking up and you're waiting for He's not going to tell you, everybody. If Jesus doesn't know, you don't know. I'll just leave that right there, all right? You don't know. But I don't know how long it will be. I don't know if we have five days. I don't know if it will be 50 years. What I do know from James is that however long we have, it's not long enough to preach the gospel. It's not long enough to live out the calling that God has on our lives. Whether it's five years or 50 years. However long it is, whether it's a day or a thousand days, whether it's not in our generation, whenever it is, we still need to live lives that are ready. We still need to live lives that are ready for, watch this in the Bible, in, I love these guys, watch in 1 Chronicles, these guys get a verse in the Bible just because, of, so you ever think about this? Like anybody ever wanted a verse in the Bible? Like about you, I would love to have a verse in the Bible. I'd, I'd put it on every plaque in my house. I'd send it to all of you like every day as your scripture of the day. I'd be like, this verse is about me. I would love, I don't know if any of you have ever thought about that. I'd love to have a verse in the Bible. A good verse, everybody. I'd love to have a good verse in the Bible. Like when your kids get their name in the paper and you go buy every paper. I'd be buying every translation. That's just free for that, all right, everybody. But these guys, these men of Issachar, they get a verse in the Bible just because they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They understood the times they lived in and they knew what they should do. We should be people like that. 
that we understand the times. We understand what our response should be. We understand what the culture that we're living in is, and we understand what we should do. We understand the culture. We know what's going to happen. Second Peter's laid it out, but then we also understand our response that we need to answer. And the question that we have is, how then do we live life? In knowing all of this, and knowing that the end could be in the next moment, the end could be in the next year, it could be any moment, how then do we live? First thing it tells us, back to our text, is you ought to live holy and godly lives. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. Point number one, jot it down if you're taking notes. We need to anticipate his return. I think this has been lost on the church. We swung so far one way that in the decades since we went through that season, we've swung so far the other way that we've lost the anticipation for his return. That we don't anticipate. What would it look like to actually live lives in anticipation of Jesus coming back? What would that look like in our life? Because we believe in God. We say, yeah, I believe in him. Well, about 60% of the country would profess that. But then when asked, how does it affect your daily life? Only 8% said that their belief in God would actually affect the decisions that they're making. About 8% would it say that they're, they're actually making decisions based on the word of God. And we did a whole series on this. You can go back and listen to it. But basically what we have in America today is practical atheism. And so we have practical, you say, well, what is practical? It's practical atheism is a belief saying, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm going to live like I don't. I'm going to cover all my bases. I'll say that I believe in it, but the decisions I'm making, 8% of those who said, yeah, I believe in God, actually said that it made a difference in their day-to-day decisions. Because I'm going to believe in God on the side, but I'm going to be practical about the way that I live my life. I'm going to try to cover all of my bases. And that's just insanity, everybody. That's not actually following God. That's just saying, yeah, I believe in him because that's still kind of the cultural norm thing to say. But I'm not going to live my life in any way as if it's actually impacting me. And so we have to live lives that focus on eternity. We have to begin to set our focus again because I think we've lost it. And I think that I can say it till I'm blue in the face from the pulpit. But until we get that inside of us that says I'm actually going to live in anticipation that Christ could return. I'm going to live in anticipation it could be today. I'm going to live in anticipation that it could be this week. I'm going to live my life in anticipation because I know that God is coming back. I know that that day is coming soon. I'm going to be prepared. Philippians 3, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says this, I've told you often before, and I say it again. So Paul's like, I've been writing this over and over. I've told you this over and over, and y'all ain't listening. And so now I'm crying about it with tears in my eyes. That there are many whose conduct shows, he's preaching to the church, by the way. He's writing to the church in Philippi. We like to put these verses off onto the the old bad, bad people over there. He's writing to the church. He says, there are many whose conduct shows they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, you say with your mouth that you're following Jesus, but your actions show that you're an enemy of the cross. Your actions are showing you're an enemy. And you say, well, how does that happen? He says, well, then their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on this earth. He says, you've gotten so consumed. You say one thing with your mouth, but your lifestyle shows you're so consumed with life on this earth, so consumed with these things. You all think you're following Christ, but you're actually an enemy, Paul is writing. These are difficult words he's writing to the church in Philippi. He says, your conduct shows. He says, you brag about shameful things. Your God is your appetite. You're so wrapped up in earthly things, wrapped up in those things of earth that you can't even lift your eyes to look at eternity. There's no anticipation. 
He says, you're so wrapped up. Well, did my, did my kids make the honor roll? And did, my, you know, did they make the travel sports team? Because you know, did the coach pick us? And I hate the politics of all that. Or did I get that promotion? Or did this thing happen at work? Or, or did I get that, that car? I can't believe they got a car before I got my car, my dream house. And I, I don't understand about their boat, God. Because I've been praying for a boat and I don't understand. We get so wrapped up. Our relationship with God becomes more about, God, I need this. And Lord, I need that. And less about anticipation that he's coming back. We get so wrapped up inside of earth. And honestly, it happens oftentimes when we don't even realize it. The Bible says in the days of Noah, they were just living, eating, and drinking the same way they had been without any knowledge that the flood was coming. That it was coming out just the way they had. And honestly, it's inch by inch, step by step, that we find ourselves wrapped up in things of this earth. And we begin to, like I said, change our relationship with God into, Lord, well, I need that. And Lord, can you give me this? And Lord, I don't understand how they got a Mercedes because I'm the one who's been praying for a Mercedes. And they're not even following God. I don't understand what's happening. Like, what's wrong with you up there? Like, I've been praying year after year and I don't understand why you would bless them and not me. And God, I just don't. And we get wrapped up in things of this earth. We get our eyes on things that are temporal. Paul said, we're just passing through. We're actually citizens in heaven. Our citizenship isn't here, everybody. It's in heaven. And we should eagerly be awaiting a savior from there. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's where our anticipation should be. But we get so wrapped up sometimes, and myself included, everybody, we fall into this trap. We get wrapped in the things of this earth. We get wrapped in the things of this world. We get consumed in this stuff. If I can encourage you, one of the old scholars, a quote I love, you should probably put it on your fridge for a week, but it just said, wear this earth like a loose garment. Wear it like a loose, don't let it hold you, everybody. Don't let it grab onto you. Don't let it get its claws into you. We live in this world. We're not of it, everybody. Our citizenship is in heaven. We should be living in anticipation. We need to anticipate his return. When's the last time we lived with a sense of urgency at the return of Christ? Not a sense of urgency that reacts to all the culture around us. Not a sense of urgency that reacts to the darkness that may be spreading in the world. Not a sense of urgency that just reacts to what they are doing. But a sense of urgency that knows our Savior is returning. That Jesus is coming back for us. He says he'll take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power with which he'll bring everything under his control. Listen everybody, we live on this earth and it is a weak and frail And frankly, terrible place. The weak and frail mortal bodies that we have that have problems and heartaches. And this world is not a great place. It's got terrible things. It's heartache. It's full of abuse and persecution. And it's full of things that come against and sickness and death. And this world is not a great place. But it says at the end when Christ returns that he'll subject it, that he'll redeem all of it. This world is full of heartaches and stress. And too much traffic on I-10. Come on, somebody. This world is not a great place. It's full of Advil and bodies that ache. and It's not a great place. But it says he'll take all of it and redeem it. The hope that we have, that anticipation that we're living in, it's because he's coming back. And he's coming back in power, everybody. He's coming back in power to redeem this old earth. That it says this earth and heaven are reserved for fire and judgment. But that he's coming back in the same power to remake and to redeem. That's what we live in anticipation of. He'll bring it all under our homes. We have to live that this earth is not our home. In that case, then, what should we do? Back to our text. What should our lives look like? He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. First, he said, your godly lives that you ought, as you look forward, as we anticipate his coming. But then number two this morning, we need to accelerate the mission. 
We should be a part of preaching the gospel. We anticipate that Christ is coming back, but then we also speed his coming. Remember, Jesus said when the gospel is preached to all nations, we need to anticipate, but also accelerate the mission. All of us need to be a part of preaching the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Every single one of us, the only reason we're here is because God has made us a part of the mission. I don't know if you understand that, but we are all ministers of the gospel. It's not just get up there, preach a man, and say what you're going to say. We're going to go about our lives. All of us are on a mission that God has called us to. That we need to preach the gospel to everything. First Peter tells us this. Watch this in First Peter. He says, each of you, that's talking to each of you, right? Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. He said, everybody has a gift. Whatever gift you've received, but all of you have one that God has given you. And you should use that gift not to make a lot of money and not to make a lot of fame. Use that gift to what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I love this verse. That God has given you gifts in the entire body of Christ. Every person, you have been given a gift through the Holy Spirit. And you should use it not to build your own fame, not to build your own ego, but to serve others, administering grace. You are a carrier of the grace of God. If we're going to impact eternity, we've got to begin to use our gift to bless the world around you. And a lot of you are doing that. You're using your gift to bless those around you, to serve those around you. But it's so that we can impact eternity. That's the next step. We begin to bless others, to serve others, to do these things that would show them that God loves them, to impact eternity. If we're going to impact eternity, we have to impact the only thing that is eternal, and that's people, everybody. That's people. That's reaching people and seeing them on the other side of this life in eternity in heaven one day. That's what our goal is, that we have to impact eternity to spread the gospel. Relationships. We have to understand this whole mission is about Christ's return. And now, to be honest with you, now is, I talked about this earlier, the best time in human history to spread the gospel. I don't know if you understand this. I think that the media and I think that every other person that actively tries to fight against the church and I think that the devil tries to get this lie into our minds that somehow the church is declining, somehow that the darkness is winning and somehow it's just not happening. I want you to tell you, everybody, this is the greatest time in human history to spread the gospel. I read this fact. It is unbelievable, everybody. I want to share it with you. More people have come to Christ in the last 20 years than in the previous 2,000 years combined. You didn't get that, everybody, because your response would be a whole lot better than it is right now. More, I'm going to read it to you again, all right, everybody, because I don't think that you're awake in this place. More people have come to Christ in the last 20 years, from the year 2000 to now, than in all of the time from Jesus until the year 2000 combined, everybody. Come on, yeah, you can give God... God, praise for that. A bunch of golf clappers in here, right? Like, you, do you see that putt? That's a really good putt. They're all just like, yeah, that's really... But I'm going to read it one more time, everybody, because this is the in most incredible, incredible stat you could possibly... Maybe people are getting excited online, all right? You Flannery people got problems, all right? Maybe they're... I'm going to read it one more time. More people have come... Some of you are thinking, like, do I need to sell my Mercedes? Is that what he's saying? Like, do I need to... Like, is that what he's saying? More people have come to Christ in the last 20 years... Than in the previous 2,000 years combined. That's more, come on, everybody. Praise, praise God for that. You know, some Sundays I think God looks down like, we're going to have to get Ben out of there because people just not fired up about the gospel. Like, we just get another preacher in there because they just not fired up about the. Listen, everybody, we live in the most incredible time in history for the spread of the gospel. More people coming to Christ now than have ever in entire human history have ever come to Christ. So in the time of Jesus 2000, we have seen more people 
coming to Christ in these last 20. It is an incredible time for the gospel around the world. That is, is exploding. And is it not just the most amazing thought to you that the end of all things is here? The end of all things is near. It's coming in the next few, whether it comes in our lifetime or comes after it, really in the shape of human history, it is just a small blip on the radar that we are this close and revival is taking place around the world. Greatest revival the world has ever seen is happening right now. That God is, that God is saying it's the most incredible thing. And I want, I want to get this thought to you guys. And I thought about this this entire weekend. That the greatest revival in the history of the world is taking place right now. Pandemic aside, all these things that have happened, wars, rumors of all these things that have happened. Right now, the greatest revival is taking place around the world. And God didn't send Abraham. Greatest revival is taking place around the world. And God didn't send Noah. Greatest revival we've ever seen is breaking out. And God didn't send Joshua. Greatest revival, God didn't send Moses. Paul is dead, everybody. I don't know why, but God chose us. Like we're here. God chose us to be here at the greatest revival. He didn't send, you can read through the Bible, all the great deeds that they did. You can read through the New Testament, all the things the church endured. You can read all those great things. They're all dead, everybody. We're here for some reason, God chose us. For some reason, God said, you're the ones to make a difference right now. God said, you're the ones who are going to make a difference in this generation. You're the one who are going to raise up leaders in the next generation. You're the ones going to bring the gospel around the world. And we're seeing revival break. I, I cannot be more encouraged that God has placed us at this moment. That's why we've organized the church around this thought that we're going to reach as many people for Jesus. We're going to see as many people in heaven as we can possibly see. And I know that you're tired and I know that you're over scheduled. I know you got all kinds of things going on in your life. Listen to me, everybody. We will sleep when we die because there are people who are headed to a Christless eternity and their salvation waits on the other side of our obedience. Our obedience to spread the gospel. There are people who are headed to a Christless eternity and we are called to reach them. There are people in your circle, there are people in your life that you may be the only person they come across that is called to reach them for the gospel. We don't take that lightly. We don't just cast them off and say, well, somebody else will water, somebody else will plant the seeds. No, God has called us, he's placed us here, that everyone has a gift to administer his grace in its various forms. We have been called, church. This is our time. The church has to rise up, shake off the shackles of sleep. We've got to rise up. Begin to recognize where we are living and the opportunity that's been presented to us. And we live lives that are not focused on the here and now, not lives that are focused on earthly things. But we got our eyes set on eternity, the only thing that matters. It's important because we are speeding the return. We anticipate. It's fantastic. We're going to live lives and anticipate Jesus is coming back. But we are going to accelerate the mission. It's what we're called to do. It's important. We have to be a part. And honestly, it's what this church is about. I could not care less how many seats we put out. I couldn't care less how many buildings we build, how big those buildings. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about are seeing people in eternity. Beginning to see people on the other side. And so if we begin to actually say we love people, if we say we love people, if we say, well, God loves them, we need to show it in our lifestyles. We need to spread the gospel, be a part of the mission. And you say, well, why? Why do we need to speed? Because it's the only thing that matters, everybody. The mission. And I think some of us are so far removed from when we gave our lives to Christ that we've forgotten that what we signed up for. We've forgotten we've signed up for the mission to spread the gospel. The grace that we have received now, we administer in its various forms, that we are carriers of this mission. 
Say it matters. I want to accelerate. Back to our text one last time. Verse 14. So dear friends, in light of this promise, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. We anticipate that Jesus is returning. We're going to accelerate the mission with everything within us. We need to work towards it. Bear in mind that our Lord's salvation, watch this, means salvation for us as well. Our Lord's patience. Lest we get too high and mighty, remember his patience means salvation and repentance for us as well. That God is waiting for our repentance as well. And I give thanks to God every single day for his patience. I don't know about you. Talked about this last week. He doesn't give us what we deserve. His patience leads us to repentance. It's the goodness of God. His grace. It's the goodness of God. It's the gospel that leads us to repentance. And he's waiting for that. And so then what should we do? Verse 18 as we close. It says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like we need to grow. We need to put all our effort into growing and experiencing his presence. Because you want to begin to minister the gospel. You want to be a missionary and you want to begin to share the mission. And you want to live lives that reflect that Jesus is coming and how people should hear the good news about the gospel. You want to reflect those lives. You need to grow in his grace yourself. You cannot give what you have not received, everybody. You have to grow in his presence. And so we're going to begin. As we close today, we're going to appreciate his presence. We're going to appreciate it. Because if we're really going to anticipate the return, we're going to accelerate the mission. We have to have the presence of God in our lives. You hear us say this all the time. We don't take a move without the presence of God around here. We don't take a step. We don't make a decision. We don't do anything without prayer and experiencing his presence. Because he is the reason all of this still goes. He's the reason that the mission can advance forward. Us alone, we're nothing, everybody. I don't know if you realize that. But it's his presence, his power, his promise that makes it all happen. So we got to appreciate his presence. We got to get into a place where we prioritize the presence of God. We got to get in relationships that prioritize the presence of God. That's why we push small groups so often. It's not about the topic, everybody. It's not about the subject. It's about the church coming together all throughout the week and experiencing the presence of God. Beginning to sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. Beginning to fellowship together. Beginning to confess to one another and build each other up. It's not about tearing each other down. The small groups are about building up fellowship about experiencing his presence with the other parts of the church, about being the body of Christ. That's why we push it so much. It's not that we can just get you something else to attend, everybody. It's not that we really, really need you to learn that particular topic. It's not about that. It's about coming together and experiencing the presence of God. That the church would come together and they would encourage each other, it says with these words, that his return is coming. Encourage each other as we anticipate Jesus Christ coming back. Encourage each other in the presence and the power of God. You want to grow in your faith. You get around other Christians who are growing in their faith. You want to grow in your faith in the Lord. You want to experience his presence. You get around other Christians who know about the presence of God. Who experience the presence of God. We have to appreciate his presence. Because I don't know if Christ will come back in our lives. But I do know even if we get to live our lives out to the end. It's not long enough to preach the gospel. Even if we get to live our lives all the way, even if we ride this whole thing out, even if you get 50, 80, 100 more years, it's not long enough to preach the gospel because revival is all over this world. The harvest is plentiful. We've been called to accelerate the mission. Heaven and hell are a reality, everybody. It is of the utmost importance that we preach the gospel, that we recognize what our mission is. 
that we accelerate it, that we experience his presence. It's what we're called to be as a church. Every head bowed, every eye closed today as we close this service. And I want to just take this moment right now. We've come to the end here, and I know a lot of you are beginning to think, well, what's going to happen after, and where are we going to eat, and you go get the car, and I'll get the kid. I know that happens at the end of a service, but just give me a couple of moments here. Just a couple of moments just to focus. Because for just a moment, I want to talk to those of you that you're in this room and you feel like you're far from God today. You've been listening to me speak and you, you understand, you may be in the camp that said, yeah, I say with my mouth, I believe in God, but my life shows that I'm very far from it. I've got the practical thing going on. I just want to cover all my bases, but my life doesn't actually show that I follow Jesus. It doesn't impact my decisions. And you say, I'm sitting here this morning. I realize I'm in church, but I feel a million miles away from God today. I want to just talk to you for a moment. Because I think if you're honest, no one else is looking around, but I think if you're honest with me this morning, you could look back on your week. You could look back on maybe the last month and you could see how conversations or plans or even decisions and things you've talked about or done or made, all those things, they've all led you to this moment. You can probably pick out a couple of conversations or a couple of circumstances or a couple of travel decisions, whatever it is. You probably see those things happen that orchestrated things that you would be here at this moment. You probably scroll through and you clicked on this video and you don't know why you're still listening, but... You might be able to notice that God is orchestrating things that you would be here at this moment, that you would hear the words that God loves you. That he's not mad at you. He's not looking to judge you. He's looking to save you. God is not excited about judgment. He's excited about salvation. His patience is to lead you to repentance. I just want you to know if you make that decision today, that's exactly what he'll do. He'll save you. He'll make you brand new. And listen to me carefully, everybody. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about putting your name on a roll. I'm not talking about giving. I'm not talking about joining a group. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm saying you can have a relationship with Jesus. You can make it right. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care the decisions you've made. I promise you Jesus can heal you. And I promise you that he still wants you. I don't care what anybody else has told you. I don't care what any other condemnation thing has been told to you. Jesus still wants you. And I promise you he can still save you. And so if that's you today, you say, I want to make that decision. And listen to me, everybody, I'm not trying to scare you, but if you're going to go into this afternoon and this week and not know where you would spend eternity. If you were to say, if Jesus came back tonight, I don't know where I would go. I beg you, don't delay. Don't wait. Because you have to come to the place where you understand this is not about anybody's ego. This is not about building anybody's church numbers. This is, this is about you and Jesus and where you'll spend eternity. And so I beg you, don't wait. If you feel the draw of God, today is your day. Don't miss it. 
Bible says his patience is to lead you to repentance. If you felt that, if you've seen times in your life where you recognize I should have experienced judgment. I don't know why God waited. I promise you his goodness is to lead you to repentance. And this is your moment. I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not in this to embarrass you. There are other moments where it's time to make it public, your decision. But right now, this is between you and your Savior. So I want to pray a prayer with you. The church is going to pray it out loud with you, but we can give you the words. You have to say them and mean them. And whether you're in the room or you're watching online right now, or you're listening to this, if you say, that's me, I want to make that decision. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that he rose again. I want to give my life to him. I want Jesus to save me. If you want to make that decision today, right now, I want you to pray this prayer. And come on, church, pray it with them. Nobody prays alone. Say these words, Jesus, forgive me. I repent of all of my sin, of every mistake. I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you rose from the dead and I give you my life. Now say these words, I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. If you made that decision today, best decision you'll ever make in your life. Best decision you will ever make. And I want to encourage you, we want to help you in your next steps. That you're now a part of the family of God. That you've crossed from darkness to light. That you've been made new. We want to help you with those next steps. And so I'll be waiting at the front of the stage today. We'd love to talk that over with you. There'll be someone, one of our team, at the Next Steps corner in the foyer. We'd love to talk those that decision you made with you. We'd love to baptize you. We'd love to help you in that decision. Encourage you, don't leave today without talking to one of us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now bow your heads one more time. I just want to pray as we go. God, I thank you for every person in this church. Lord, we thank you that you are patient with us. We thank you, God, that you waited long enough for us to find you, Lord. And we thank you that you have equipped us for the mission of the gospel. That you've called us to make a difference in the world around us. That as culture shifts one way, we would be able to stand for you. God, that we would be light in a world that is increasingly darker. We would be able to shine the gospel every corner, every place, every soul. We thank you, God, that you have made us a part of this mission. We thank you for your blessings. Lord, we don't take them for granted, but help us, Lord, even in the midst of our blessings. Even in the midst of the way that you have blessed us as the church, help us not to get wrapped up in earthly things. Not to be consumed by the stuff that we would see your mission, that you have blessed us to be a blessing. God, that you have given us all that we have, that we could sow it back into the kingdom. We thank you, Lord that you have chosen us for this time. God, that the revival is happening, that the gospel is being preached. We thank you that you chose us. We humbly, humbly thank you, God. And in every mission and every opportunity, in every scenario and every environment, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory because you deserve it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, would you put your hands together for what God has done